Hello, hello everyone. This is Heather. And this is Kara. And you're listening to I'm Not Complaining. I'm just asking. It's our podcast. Well, the holiday movie marathon continues. And today we will be discussing none other than Die Hard 1988 by 20th Century Fox starring Bruce Willis, directed by John McTurnan, produced by Joel Silver, written by... Where is it? Well, let's be more specific. Okay. That I think a lot of people don't realize that Die Hard from 1988 is a film that is based on a book. And the book was called nothing lasts forever and that was by roderick thorpe and roderick thorpe wrote this sequel to a film and a book called the detective which old blue eyes frank sinatra starred in and the sequel the book and the film adaptation was originally made for Frank Sinatra, and it took so long for the author to write it that Frank Sinatra was too old to star in the film. So... They had to find someone new. Correct. Correct. And if we're thinking about 1988, Mm -hmm. this is a time where we have a lot of action films. Mm -hmm. And John Silver had just finish producing Predator. Okay. And so the film got shopped around to a couple big name, big name action stars. So we're talking about Stallone. We're talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger. We're talking about even Clint Eastwood, which God bless him. He passed up on it because he wrote on the top of the script, I don't get the jokes. <laughs> I don't get the humor. I don't understand it. So it wasn't the right part for him, but it was the right part for Bruce Willis. So Bruce Willis, at that time, he had a very successful television show called Moonlighting, which he co-starred with Sybil Shepard. And that TV show, for those of you who don't know, it was extremely popular. It was a ginormous hit, running from 1985 until 1989. The tagline or description of Moonlighting is, quirky cases of a former model and smart aleck detective manage a private detective agency. Well, that's madcaps abound. So when I when I th- hear that Die Hard, I mean, real even though it was written for Frank Sinatra, really, it was made for Bruce Willis. Absolutely, because who's more of a smart aleck than Bruce Willis? Um, I'll, I'll take uh. uh you know, uh, guys with big hats for 200 Yes, Burt Reynolds was also offered the leading role in Die Hard. But he said no, turned it down, because he said, I've already done this movie. which To, to which he was referring to, I'm sure, Smokey and the Bandit. Which, fair enough. Fair enough. So Bruce Willis had been in two previous films which did not do very well in the box office one called blind date which i have seen actually i saw it being aired on television in the 90s and um it's a struggle i'll be honest i i did i don't think i made it to the end um but it stars bruce willis uh the female lead is kim basinger um, there's also uh, scenes with Phil Hartman. Phil Hartman's character is actually the one who sets up Bruce Willis's character and Kim Basinger's character. And um, the point of the movie is, is that even though obviously 
Kim Basinger is incredibly beautiful and attractive, if she has the most minute amount of alcohol, she turns insane. And so they things go from there. Um, what was the other film? The other film was called Sunset. I've never heard of it, and I have never seen it. I'll be honest, I really couldn't find any information <laughs> on it. So no. both of these films, uh, I mean, they weren't great. They mm-hmm. didn't do well at the box office. And so when 20th Century Fox is greenlighting this film mm-hmm. for $28 million, yeah, they're like... Look, we get that we probably can't get a big name actor, but really, Bruce Willis, Mm -hmm. the two films that he's done have been real stinkers. So (laughs) let's do this. Let's try and play into the character that he is playing on TV on Moonlighting and see if that works on the big screen like it does on the small screen on TV. Bruce Willis signed up to be in this film and get paid $5 million. Bruce Willis was over the moon, excited, was really stoked. And what was really sad is when they went to show the previews Mm -hmm. for Die Hard with Bruce Willis, audiences either booed or laughed at him not at the at, at the preview of like ha 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 this looks funny no they're like ha 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 why would bruce willis be in an action film he's not an action star which i was like how sad so the original poster for the film only has the building it does not have bruce willis on it and until uh, the film gained popularity and traction at the theater. Did they do the split screen, half building, half Bruce Willis mm-hmm. face with gun? Yeah. And he became a huge action star. I mean, that's the first thing you think of when you think of Bruce Willis nowadays. Yes. And it completely changed and created a new genre of action film. It is a comedy action film. And when I heard that, that I, I instantly think of like Tropic Thunder mm-hmm. and things like that, where you have, you know, hot shots, where there are all of these action comedies. And so when Bruce Willis got the script, he goes, I love it. Is there any way that you can add in more jokes? Mm-hmm. Because I can do it and I can <laughs> handle it. And that's probably the opposite of what those other stars would have wanted. They would have probably to be really, really serious. So the actual book, Nothing Lasts Forever by Roderick Thorpe, is actually much darker than the film. And so they kept all the action, but they added all the jokes. Um, so then director John uh, McTarran, who worked with Joe Silver um, on predator and jeb jeb stewart um adapted the book to the screen right Uh, the original adaptation from the book to the screen um was jeb stewart but once they got bruce willis to sign on to the film steven d'souza became the new writer to add in the jokes because he had written commando and 48 hours oh and 48 hours of course is Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte, which is a comedy slash police escapade. Yeah. So when they actually started shooting the film, only the first 35 pages were completed. So he was staying one or two days ahead of schedule, rewriting, adding jokes, seeing what works. Here's the ads. Here's the here are the rewrites. So the the writer Stephen D'Souza, his headspace was probably very similar to the character John McClane of being completely stressed and overwhelmed. And, um, yeah, so maybe that was helpful. Well, how would I react, you know, with if the, how emotionally would I react if this was happening to me? 
the one thing that was really important to uh, Stephen D'Souza was to really make John McClane the everyday man that when he would do uh, certain things uh, and use the environment around him, it'd be like, oh yeah, he would totally do that. It's not out of the realm of possibilities. And so in the actual tower that the building is on the 20th Century Fox lot, and it was actually under construction during the time. So when they were doing the daily setups, they would do tours of the building and go, okay, can we use these chains? Can we use the stairwell? Can we use the elevator shaft? Uh, can we use the helicopter pad on the roof? But what's insane is that during the filming, there were people actually in the office building when there's like fake gunfire and explosions going on. Oh my gosh. And fireballs and helicopters and yes. Spotlights. Just police. another day at the office. But the thing that's important to note is that the film is taking place at night. So yeah, a, a vast majority for sure. So if well, they, exteriors anyway. Yeah. Right. So if they weren't getting the complaints from the office members and occupants during the day, they were getting complaints and noise complaints from all the neighbors oh, in no. the surrounding area. Oh yeah, I mean with the explosions and pyrotechnics, I'm sure. We also have a newcomer to the film industry. He was a big actor on stage. We had to sign someone who would be as memorable as John McClane, but not overshadow John McClane. He had to be upper class, he had to be handsome, and he needed to be cheap. <laughs> Cheaper than Bruce Willis, because Bruce Willis is getting paid $5 million of that 28 The famous stage actor, Alan Rickman. Legendary. He is incredible. I'm not breaking any news here, but Alan Rickman is incredible in everything that he does. And that voice, there isn't, I mean, there's no other voice like that. It's just utterly fantastic. Most people nowadays, they probably know him as Professor Snape from the Harry Potter films. Kara knows more about that. Is it Cerverus Snape? Severus. Severus Snape. <laughs> What's his specialty? Uh, well, he is potions and a defender against the dark arts. There you go. Professor. There you go. He had actually never been in a film before. So the, this was his breakout his role. His debut. Well. That's right. And guess what? Hits it out of the park. And what's interesting is that Hans Gruber is not British. No, the entire gang of bad guys are supposed to be German. Which, um, I, no. I don't think any of them are actually German. I, I have to say one of my favorite parts, and again, the, the hilarity about uh, Die Hard is when Alan Rickman's character, Hans Gruber, um, gets in the mix with uh, John McClane, Bruce Willis, when they, they couldn't, and as I was saying that they were writing the script as they're filming, they go, how do we get them to meet? To how, have do a we, face -off. how do we have a face-off? And so... Yeah, because they're always on the phone or they're communicating through walkie-talkie, having their back and forth, rat-a-tat-tat. Well, but Bruce Willis or... Uh, John McClane is sending bodies down the elevator with ho, ho, ho. So how do we get these two together? Because they've never seen each other face to face. They've only heard each other on the phone. So when Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman were at the craft service table at lunch one day, Bruce Willis asked Alan Rickman, goes, so do you do any other accents? Can you do a quote American accent? Because a lot of British people, Scottish people, Irish uh, Australian, they have a quote American mm -hmm. way of talking. Mm -hmm. um, 
what's yours? He goes, well, I don't really have an, quote, an American, but I could do a California <laughs> accent. And so it went off so well, and they thought it was so hilarious. They go, that's it. That's how Hans and John McClane are going to get together, that they meet up, and because they've never met face-to-face, Hans can think quickly on his feet and be go, oh, God, no. <laughs> Clay. Bill Clay. So that is Alan Rickman's, quote, California businessman oh, God. accent. Uh, so that gave birth to that <laughs> whole exchange. So I, it, I think it's so funny. And then also we get our most famous catchphrase from this film, which oh, is yippee Kaye. MF. And that came from Stephen D'Souza and Bruce Willis talking to each other in between takes about their favorite TV shows and action stars growing up. And they said that they both enjoyed and watched Roy Rogers. And he would always sing the yippee yo kaye Yippee-yi-yo-yo, yippee Yes. And so he goes, that's it, because Hans calls John McClane Mr. Cowboy. Mr. Cowboy. And that's why he <laughs> says yippee Kaye mf'er. And I think that that's so funny and it's so great because it just takes something that's familiar enough and just puts that little twist on it. Ugh. And it, it's as famous as Arnold Schwarzenegger's I'll, I'll Be, be Back. back. I know it's so funny is, you know, you just know it as this, like you say, this thing that's so big. But in the when you go and you actually watch the original film, the, the little rat-a-tat-tat chatter about Mr. Cowboy and, oh, well, you know, personally, I'm, I'm more partial to Roy Rogers. It's just, and he, he almost whispers into the walkie-talkie. As he's pushing, as as he's going backwards, pushing through a heavy door, it's almost not even there in the first film, and and then it just it grew into this legend. You know, it's so fantastic. I love it. So even though this phrase, this quote, is so iconic, and you can use it at any (laughs) point in time. To represent any situation. Sure. I own, and I mentioned this before on previous podcasts, that I love owning box sets Mm -hmm. of DVDs. Because this catchphrase was so successful, it gave birth to not only this new action comedy genre, but it gave birth to Bruce Willis being an action film star and a diehard franchise. There is a total, including the first one, there are currently, at the time of this podcast, five die-hard films. Kara's shaking her head no at me, and it's 100% true, Kara. Die Hard, 1988. Die Hard 2. Die Harder, 1990. Die Hard with a Vengeance, 1995. Live Free or Die Hard, 2007. And 2013's a good day to die hard. Now, we can argue about which die hard film is the best. My personal opinion is <laughs> is that really there's only 3 die hard films and that would be Die Hard the original, the OG, Die Hard with a Vengeance with the incredible Samuel L. Jackson as Zeus, Jeremy Irons as the villain. I'll stop right there because I could literally talk forever about this film. You know what's so funny that you mentioned that, Heather? I, the first Die Hard film that I ever saw was actually Die Hard with a Vengeance. And I Me didn't know there too. were other films. Me too. And you, you know how I got introduced to the original Die Hard? No. It was on AMC's holiday special films, starting after Thanksgiving through New Year's. And I was like, Die Hard? 
Die Hard with a Vengeance? That's not a Christmas film. And I realized, wait a minute, Die Hard is the first film of the Die Hard franchise. It's the origin story. It is the origin story, and it is, in fact, a Christmas film. Well, that is that opens the floor up to debate. Um, so many of you in this holiday season may be asking yourselves, or maybe debating with family and friends, is Die Hard truly a Christmas film? Heather, it, it takes place on Christmas Eve. It does. It's a it's the heart of the story is about family. It's about being together. You know, good versus evil. Good triumphs over evil. But at the same time, I understand that not every film that takes place during the holidays is in fact a Christmas film. Right. There are many films that just so happen to have the setting of being late December. Or in the snow. Right. Um, so another movie you could say could have that debate um, is Lethal Weapon. Uh, Lethal... I'm going to stop you right there. No. I, I agree. Um, so the Lethal Weapon franchise we're not going to go into here. Um, but I know. I don't because think Because so. there's people wearing festive clothing, Christmas music being played, people shopping in the stores and and decorations. I don't think that qualifies and makes the storyline. There's nothing about the storyline. That's I mean, about I'll the be, holidays. I'll be honest, I, I have not watched the original um Lethal Weapon film in an extremely long time. So I have vague glimpses of what the actual storyline is. Um, my feeling is because Lethal Weapon takes place also in Los Angeles, I feel that the 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 setting of having it during Christmas time was kind of just a way to add extra giggles that oh look at the Californians it's it's a it's eighty degrees and they're trying to have Christmas isn't that hilarious? Um, giving way to visual gags and things like that. That is my feeling. I could be a hundred percent wrong um, on that, so um, I'm not going to fully commit. But that's just my feeling. I never think of Lethal Weapon as a Christmas movie. Another movie um, is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles by John Hughes, which stars Steve Martin and John Candy. Now, that's a road picture where it's two co comedians having wacky mishaps traveling across country. However, the setting and the holiday is Thanksgiving. It's one of the very rare films that actually talks about the Thanksgiving holiday. Steve Martin is dead set on getting home in time for Thanksgiving. But when you say planes, trains, and automobiles, the film, does your mind be like, oh yeah, the Thanksgiving movie? No. No one thinks that. It's a, it's a funny travel movie. Isn't that happens to take place during Thanksgiving. Well, isn't there another film, Trapped in Paradise? Trapped in Paradise stars Dana Carvey, Nicolas Cage, and John Lovitz. And that takes place during Christmas. I would classify Trapped in Paradise as a Christmas film, and I recommend that you watch it. I also recommend one of my newer favorites with Ryan Reynolds is Just Friends. <laughs> he goes home for the holidays for the first time in 10 years mm -hmm. and there's Christmas sweaters, there's festive lights, Isn't there like events. caroling and stuff There like is car caroling, there's Christmas trees, there's ice skating. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, come on. It, yeah. it is. But I also, there is Love Actually. And Love Actually is also a Christmas film. Um, hold on to your hats, folks. I have never seen the film Love Actually. And when Heather told me that, <laughs> I was shocked. And it, were you it, sh were you shook? Yeah, because it stars one of our favorite people from Die Hard. Who's that? Alan Rickman. Oh, I knew it. I know it's a. Here's what. I, here's what I know. 
about Love Actually. It's a British film. It is packed to the rafters with every British actor that there could possibly be. And it, there's snow. That's all I know. That's it. That's all I know. Don't know anything about it. It's on the list, you guys, <laughs> of movies for us to watch together. I've never seen it. I'm not going to make us do a separate podcast about it, but God willing, Heather is going to watch Love Actually this holiday season. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So, oh, my goodness. So, the thing about Die Hard is that Die Hard fans or Bruce Willis fans don't necessarily need the excuse of the holidays to watch what is widely regarded as one of the best action films of all time. So you can watch Bruce Willis as John McClane any time of the year. True. But especially during the holidays, because as I mentioned before, it takes place on Christmas Eve. His wife's name is Holly. They're having a Christmas party. Mm -hmm. And they play the song Christmas in the Hollies by Ren DMC. I mean, come on. Which now, I mean, at the time, people were like, what is this? And now it's like such a classic go-to for any holiday playlist. Because, you know, it's fly diggity fresh, y'all. And it's really not the holidays until you see Hans Gruber fall from the Nakatomi Tower. (laughs) So I heard that there's a little behind the scenes about how that iconic shot of Hans falling with the loosened Rolex... Off of Holly's wrist? Yes. Because he's trying to drag her down with him. Yes! So, Charlie uh, Paterni, who is the stunt coordinator for the film, uh, he set up the shot, he set up the rigging with Alan Rickman in a soundstage, and he was up in the rafters 40 feet above this bag, and they said, okay, look, uh, we're going to have a close-up shot of you on your face. You're going to get dropped, and this rope is going to let you go, and it's going to be you falling off the tower, and we are going to cut you loose and let the rope go. <laughs> we're going to let you go on the count of three. Oh, gosh. Charlie, the stunt coordinator, then whispered to the guy holding the rope and said, you drop him on one. Oh, no. So, the fear that Alan Rickman has on his face as he is falling, that terror and that fear and that close-up is real because he thought he was getting let, let go and cut loose on three. No, no, they let go of the rope on one. And he fell backwards, free fall, 40 feet <laughs> to the ground of the of the soundstage <laughs> into the pad. Um, but again, it, you can't... It's like lightning in a bottle. Yeah. You can't recreate that. Cinema verite. Correct. Yes. <laughs> um, the explosions were real. Um, the helicopter scene um, above um, the tower, uh, it created a flight risk by the city of Los Angeles. The city of Los Angeles said, look, we're going to give you this two-hour window on one night and they did one pass luckily they filmed it and the city of los angeles called uh 20th century fox after the first 20 minutes and they said you need to ground it and you need to ground it now because we didn't know you were going to be flying in between buildings (laughs) having people hanging out of the get to the chopper you know (laughs) flying out of the side of the of the chopper um, above the helicopter pad. Uh, so luckily, they filmed the the first test flight, and so they actually shot um, the climax of the film in 30 minutes. <laughs> and it was one take and one take only. That's, wh- that's why you always shoot the rehearsal. That's why, you know, the same thing, just like the, what was it, the junk camera 
from Home Alone. Oh, yeah. That's what got all the stunts, which was the wide-angle shots. Was, it was the GoPro before the days of the GoPro. Correct. Yeah. So, uh, there's so many fantastic things about this film. Again, the, the Christmas-themed uh, exclamations that it's, as Heather mentioned before, now I have the machine gun, ho, 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 um, <laughs> that he John writes on the body of one of Hans's henchmen. Yes, the brother of Carl. Carl, who is played by... Russian defect ballet dancer Alexander Gudinov, who's incredible in this film, and he also is in the movie Money Pit. I love it. With Tom Hanks, where he plays an orchestra conductor, which is also fantastic. Highly recommend. Another classic (laughs) 80s film. Yes. Uh, It's great. Um, We also have. Uh, the hacker Theo, the one he's hacking into the vault to get all the bonds, who is played by Clarence uh, Gillard Jr., um, wants to warn his fellow criminal and henchmen of the impending arrival of the police officers. He starts with Twist the Night Before Christmas. Yep. <laughs> so, there, I feel like every couple pages of the script or every few minutes of the film. There is a Christmas nugget, mm-hmm. a holiday theme nugget. And to, so also, I feel like the producers or the studio or what have you, once this was a bona fide hit and success, and they're like, we're going to make another one. Die Hard Part 2, Die Harder, also takes place on Christmas Eve. Um, it centers around... Uh, rogue military operatives that seize control of the Dulles International Airport in Washington, D.C., where John McClane is currently stationed, and Holly is flying on a plane to come visit him. And that takes place on Christmas Eve in the snow. So this whole Is Die Hard a Christmas movie, the studio is kind of... uh, needs to take responsibility for that because they followed up part two immediately again on Christmas Eve. Um, So they were totally playing into that. Um, All the other subsequent sequels have nothing to do with Christmas. Um, Die Hard with a Vengeance uh, takes place during the summertime. Um, Live Free or Die Hard uh, takes place. It doesn't. I don't think it really. Oh, I believe it takes place on the Fourth of July, Independence Day ish, and um, a good day to die hard. I honestly couldn't tell you. I've watched it once. It was a struggle, y'all. But the thing that you could also say about is Die Hard one, because that's what we're discussing, a Christmas movie. Um, I would say if you're gonna determine whether something is truly quote unquote a Christmas film, you take a look at look at it and you say, if this the storyline, if it took, if you suddenly flipped it and said it doesn't happen on Christmas Eve, it happens in September. It happens something like that. Would the plot line still work? And in the case of Die Hard, yes. It could take place at any time of the year because the forward motion of the story has nothing to do with what time of the year it is. But if you look at something like, um, let's say, what's what's a big Christmas film? Elf. Um, Home Alone. <laughs> Home Alone 1 or 2? Um, gosh, yeah. That's interesting. I feel like maybe Home Alone wouldn't have to necessarily take place on Christmas. It could just be that they're Just a home invasion. Or that they're traveling. Yeah. For somebody's birthday. It It could be a family reunion. It would. Would it have the same impact? Probably not. You wouldn't have... uh, (laughs) You wouldn't have Marv coming through the window stepping on glass ornaments. Right. I mean, obviously. We'll we'll, we'll not go down that rabbit hole. But... um, And also... Bruce Willis, of course, has been asked on the subject, and his response was, Die Hard is not a Christmas film. It's a Bruce Willis movie. 
So, there I, you, I, you know, Bruce Willis, I'd have to disagree because you carried a giant stuffed bear on an airplane with, with a you big red bow as a Christmas present for his kids. Yes. Argyle, the limo driver, uh, Devereaux White. Uh, I mean, so fantastic. Uh, him hanging out in the limo downstairs with the stereo cranked was so fantastic. And then the two of them, Bruce Willis and Devereaux White, reunited this year. For a commercial. For a commercial. You mean Die Hard? To film a faux trailer for a Die Hard film for Die Hard car batteries. And when I saw it, I don't think I'm alone in thinking, oh my gosh, there's going to be another Die Hard film. Actually, no. It was just a very well thought out, well produced faux trailer pimping car batteries. But you know what? I enjoyed it immensely. And I think they did a great job. I especially enjoyed it when he had to go through the ceiling yes. up in the rafters. That was the only exit. Because we also get a very iconic monologue by Bruce Willis as he's climbing through the oh. air duct system with his little lighter. lighter. Now I know what a TV dinner feels like. Come on down. We'll have a few laughs. <laughs> I have a friend who made a Christmas ornament out of tin foil <laughs> and a little tiny color printout that she cut out of Bruce Willis of him being in the air ducts surrounded by so then when you put it on the tree with the lights it looks like he's climbing through the air duct system in your tree. So if you in fact can make a Christmas tree ornament out of a screenshot from the film Die Hard, I think that automatically makes Die Hard a Christmas film if you can make an ornament. It's a powerful argument. Powerful statement. And the in the song that plays on the end credits is The World the Roadside is for full. For fire should like let snow, let it snow, let it snow. As all the papers and the shrapnel are going through the air. Um, so again, that hammers home the Christmas vibe for sure. So before we wrap things up, I just want to sit, and you guys can all discuss on your own point, counterpoint. Stack them up and let us know. But I want to talk for a minute about the fabulous actors that are in this film. We get Reginald Vell Johnson as Sergeant Al Pal, who, of course, I would say, besides this role, his most iconic role is as Carl Winslow from Family Matters. And, of course, he got that job because he was in Perfect Strangers playing the exact same character. But in 1984, the first Ghostbusters, he also played a policeman. And he was also in Crocodile Dundee in 1986 as the limo driver. And a vast number of other roles. But this film, Die Hard, at the time, of course, was an enormous break for him. And um, Kara, I believe in the behind the scenes, they actually did a current interview with Reginald Vell Johnson, and he got emotional talking about this. Yeah, he actually went back to the actual building that's at 20th Century Fox, and he talked about how he was in the waiting room waiting to audition, and the person who audition directly before him was Mr. Wesley Snipes. And he goes, well, I'm not going to get it. Uh, <laughs> this guy just came out. Um, he was shocked and surprised two weeks later to get the call that he had gotten the part. And the money that he earned from doing the film Die Hard, he was able to buy his mother a house and a car and become a successful actor before she passed. And he said that Die Hard, the film, really gave him his life and his career. And I would make that argument for many of the actors that are in this film, not just Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman, 
Um, but there's also quite a few character actors that were already established. Like we're talking about <laughs> the deputy police officer Paul Gleason, who of course is the principal from the Breakfast Club in 1985. Uh, one of the FBI guys, he is Robert Davey, who is one of the villains from the Goonies in 1985. The female news anchor is Mary Ellen Trainer, who is the mother from Goonies. Uh, a very, very small, swift role in this film is the city worker in the manhole, who is Rick DeCummin, who he is the limo driver and co-star in the family film Blank Check, uh, who he's just fantastic in that one. And Richard Thornburg, who plays the scrappy reporter in this film, redhead with a beard, of course, is from Ghostbusters, who insists on releasing all the ghosts onto the New York City public. He's kind of re-racking his role as a total, utter jerk, and he does it fantastically. So... As, as we go through these lists of actors and the list of characters that are iconic in this film, you couldn't see anybody else in this film. And now you realize that these are all character actors or these are all first-time actors in a leading role. It makes sense of why they could do Die Hard on the budget of $28 million. Oh, it and made... Over a hundred and forty million dollars at the box office during the holiday season. And shout out to Holly Gennaro, aka Bonnie Bedelia. She's so great. I love her, and she also reprises her role in Die Hard um, Part Two, Die Harder. She's fantastic. I mean, so incredible. I love her. What about uh, Booby? Oh my God, that is Mister Mister uh, the Art of the Deal. Oh God, his character name is Harry Ellis, but he only goes by Ellis. The actor is Hart Botchner. I mean, banging on all cylinders. People, the pe the other actors in the scene, just feed off his vibe, and you they just barely tolerate this this character did you see the rolex oh did you see it so oh it just oh him and his and then the diet coke while he's oh, the on diet the walkie coke. talkie with oh. john mcclain oh. and john mcclain is like i don't know no. this guy i mean yeah he's so great what a great job five stars so i so this film not only gave birth, as we mentioned before, to an entire movie franchise, but it also gave the career to uh, the stunt coordinator and how stunts are done. Charlie Paterni setting up the shots, making it real, using the construction site, and then ha figuring out how do we get John McClane off of the helicopter pad oh, and easy. back down? You just tie a tie a fire hose around your waist and jump. Which Bruce Willis, <laughs> they were going to have his stunt double do it. And he said, absolutely not. If I am going to become an action star, I need to know how to be and do real action star stunts and so that's actually him tying the rope around his waist uh and then going off the side of the building but what? we have to mention that the actual fire hose gag of getting from the top of the roof into the glass um is actually a nod to harold lloyd from the film Safety Last. Oh, highly recommended, y'all. You need to see it if you haven't. But part of what I love about that and the whole film is when and it all plays back into John McClane being a normal guy in extraordinary situations. As he's tying the hose around his waist, he is having a verbal monologue with himself like, 
What are you doing, John? You're gonna die. This is the worst idea you could possibly imagine. I love it. I love the self-awareness of it all. How about <laughs> shoot the glass? Oh, okay. So when so when the all German, not German, bad guys notice he doesn't have shoes. Hans tells them in German to shoot the glass. And the all-German crew look at him in confusion. And it's not until he speaks in English, shoot the glass. Oh, I understand you perfectly now. That always cracks me up. I love it. Love it. <laughs> Again, Die Hard is a Christmas film, but you can also enjoy it throughout the year, not just during the holiday season. And there are so many great one-liners and quotes from this film that Heather and I use (laughs) all of the time. Oh my gosh. We're going to need some more FBI guys. Johnson & Johnson, no relation. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Too good. It's too good. Oh, also, um, you might be saying, hey, what about the bad guy who takes over the job as the front, front clerk at the desk downstairs in the plaza? Why don't you give a shout out to Huey Lewis? He did such a great job. Hip to be a square going back in time by... For the, for the film franchise, Back to the Future, give him a shout out. He did a great job. No, that's not that's not Huey Lewis. That is an actor that very much looks like him, and he did a wonderful job. And he bet a lot of money on that basketball game. He's gonna lose fifty bucks on those guys. <laughs> Which, by the way, he tells an officer of the law that he's illegally gambling with a bookie. Not your best choice. Uh, so clearly. For us, as diehard, diehard fans, <laughs> I believe that Die Hard is indeed, and in fact, a Christmas movie. Yes. Um, I would e- agree. Even though Bruce Willis does not. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah, I would say that Die Hard is a Christmas film, and the other subsequent sequels are not. So if it's any other time of the year and I feel like watching a Die Hard film, I would watch Die Hard with a Vengeance because I feel like, kind of feel like Die Hard Part Part 3 is the best of the series, y'all. Because you have Bruce Willis and Samuel Jackson. You also learn about fractions. Oh my gosh, Jeremy Irons with all the darn riddles. Oh my gosh, just so frustrating. Oh my gosh. So, I, the synopsis <laughs> I was of, traveling to St. Ives. I met a man with seven wives, seven sacks, cats and wives. How am I going to St. Ives? And they start trying to do calculations in their head and Samuel Jackson is a uh, he's a um, he has a repair shop so he's really good at figuring things out and to the um, delight and relief of John McClane and so he's he adds up all the numbers really quick and then he realizes, no, 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 it's a riddle. It's a joke. There's got to be a twist. The answer is one. One? Yeah. <laughs> where's all the Where's all the guys and the, and the cats and the women going? I don't know. <laughs> the answer is one. The guy. Just the guy. Oh, gosh. And then when the guy fill up the fountains, the water from the fountains with the buckets, oh, my gosh. It, it's just... Die Hard 3 is non-stop anxiety. And 
If you're wondering how many times they say the F word between Bruce Willis and Samuel Jackson, the answer is 90 because I counted one time, <laughs> just so you know. But I also enjoy Die Hard 3, which is Live Free or Die Hard that stars Justin Long as his sidekick and Timothy Oliphant as Gabriel the villain. That's a well, I, I enjoy, I, I will admit, I didn't appreciate it at the time when it was, when it was released because the, the thing that had immediately followed it was Die Hard 3 with Samuel Jackson. I mean, give me a break. How, how are you gonna beat that? It doesn't, but now I appreciate it more because it is a very well-crafted film and I do like it. So Die Hard, the 1988 original with Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman, the story of a New York police officer travels to Los Angeles on Christmas Eve to make up with his wife, but gets wrapped up in a hostage heist. So grab your cookies for Santa and some hot cocoa. Don't forget to take off your shoes and socks and squish your toes. <laughs> In the carpet, oh my making God. fists with your toes. Fists with your toes. I know. You look at me like I'm crazy. But I tell you, it's better than a shower and a hot cup of coffee. According to the helpful Henry sitting in the seat next to him. Also, don't forget to add Run DMC's Christmas in the Hollies <laughs> to your holiday playlist. <laughs> That's right. Classic. How about... An oversized stuffed teddy bear. <laughs> With a big red bow? Sure, why not? How about a custom Rolex? Oh, now you're talking. How about six, $640 million in bear bonds? That's probably a good present, too. Are they still valid if they are partially singed from fire? Uh, doubtful. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been I'm Not Complaining. I'm Just Asking for you to watch Die Hard because it's a Christmas film! <laughs>